Emporia, Kansas. Let me tell you, this town is haunted. They've got Plum Place, which is said to be hunted by Caroline and Preston Plum, as well as the ghost cat that prowls the home, and many ghostly apparitions that creep around the home's library, and it's said that the library can plummet by 15 to 20 degrees in a matter of seconds. Then there's the Emporia Country Club, which is said to be haunted by at least four people, two former managers, a chef, and a golfer who died of a heart attack during a golf tournament, and I guess he never left. And of course, the Rocky Ford Bridge, which is the setting of today's story. Also known as Bird Bridge, the bridge stretches over the Cottonwood River on Road P, and it's said to be haunted by the ghost of Sandy Bird. In 1983, Sandy Bird's body was found floating in the Cottonwood River underneath the Rocky Ford Bridge. It appeared that it was a tragic car accident as Sandy was found floating next to her overturned car in the river. And locals and thrill-seeking teenagers still visit the Rocky Ford Bridge and say that they can hear Sandy's screams coming from underneath the bridge and her footsteps can be heard walking across the bridge at night. So does Sandy's ghost really haunt the Rocky Ford Bridge? I don't know. But what I do know is that Sandy's death was ruled a tragic accident. But when another man from the same town died under mysterious circumstances just four months after Sandy did, everyone in town started to believe that something much more sinister was happening in Emporia, Kansas. This is the story of the murders of Sandy Bird and Marty Anderson. Welcome to the Cleaning and Crime Podcast. My name is Elise, and my podcast is called What It Is because I have a weekly series on YouTube where I post a time-lapse video of me cleaning my home, while at the same time I tell you a true crime story, because I love to listen to true crime while I clean. But for some people, the cleaning footage is too distracting, or they just prefer to listen to their true crime and not watch it. So if that's you, you're in the right place. Trigger warning, this is a true crime podcast, so be sure to check the show notes on this episode for specific trigger warnings. Listener discretion is advised. I'm back, baby. My voice is a little bit hoarse, but not too terrible. <laughs> Listen, I was planning on coming back in September, at the end of September, but let me tell you, everybody that I work with at my office and their children got really sick, and there's been a really bad cold going around like my entire town for weeks. So I was picking up extra shifts at work to cover sick days and things like that. So free time? Who is she? And then my family ended up getting it, but I didn't. So then I started to get cocky. And I was bragging that my immune system is so incredible. And then I got it. <laughs> and I got it the day before I had scheduled to record this episode. So <laughs> it did not happen. But anyway, I'm feeling much better and I'm back. And it's October and nothing gets in the way of October for me except a virus, I guess. But this is my favorite month, spooky month, and I'm doing my scary movie marathon this year. So I watch a scary movie every night and I did put my list up on Instagram. So if you want some scary movie inspiration, if you're looking for some movies to watch, head over to my Instagram and read my list. You can watch the same movies as me if you want, or you can just pick a few off my list if you're looking for ideas. So head over to my Instagram. Make sure you're following me there if you want to talk scary movies this month. And since it's October, all of my cleaning and crime episodes this month will be spooky or have some sort of supernatural element to them. So now I already told you about spooky Emporia, Kansas, and I'm so blessed because this case and the ghostly story that goes along with it was recommended to me by Isabel. So thank you so much to Isabel for the recommendation. I saved this case for this month. So I'm very excited. Let's talk about it. On July 17th, 1983, the body of Sandy Bird was found under the Rocky Ford Bridge in Emporia, Kansas. The Sandy was driving over the Cottonwood River, about to go over the bridge southeast of Emporia. 
But her car missed a bend and she missed the bridge and went off, hit an embankment and hit the water about 20 feet down. She was thrown from the vehicle and her body was found floating face down next to her overturned station wagon in the river the next morning. Poor Sandy was only 33 and she was the wife of the local preacher in town, Tom Bird. He was a very popular preacher of the Faith Lutheran Church in town. And the town was super shocked and devastated, obviously, at Sandy's death. Everyone loved Sandy. She was such a sweetheart. And everyone in town rallied around her husband, the widower, Tom Bird. It was very sad. Now, Tom Bird and Sandy Bird were high school sweethearts. She was valedictorian. He was a jock, really into sports, long distance running. And Sandy was super smart, like really smart. Obviously, she was valedictorian of her class. Now, they both went to college, both got master's degrees. Tom got two master's degrees in theology and Sandy got her master's in mathematics. Then the two got married and had three kids. And in 1982, Tom was assigned to go lead the congregation at the Faith Lutheran Church in Emporia, Kansas. So the family relocated. So they moved from Arkansas to Emporia. And when they got there, Sandy was offered a position at the college there. So Sandy was going to teach classes at the Emporia State University. And she was going to go and get another master's degree in computer math. Whip smart, that one. So Tom was full of energy and charisma. And he was a young guy, 32. And people said that they felt like he was more of a salesman than a preacher, like kind of more more like a televangelist, which was actually a dream of his <laughs> to become a televangelist. But he had a personality is what I'm saying. And very quickly, he had injected new life into this congregation. And very soon they had a daycare, Bible study groups for both kids and adults, softball and volleyball teams, and new families were joining the church every Sunday. And Sandy, meanwhile, at the college was teaching and studying and furthering her education. They were both just killing it. But... There was obviously trouble in paradise. I mean, where are we? It's a crime show. Now, Sandy was not really the type of wife that Tom really wanted. Tom wanted a traditional preacher's wife who threw herself into the church. Like, he wanted a wife that made her entire personality about him. Like, hi, I am the preacher's wife. That's who I am. You know what I mean? And he actually said that he expected her to put God's work first. But Sandy was proud of her own accomplishments, as she should be, and she was proud of her husband's accomplishments. But she thought that going to church on Sunday with the family was enough support. Like she had her own career. She had her own things going on. But Tom thought he was on a mission from God. And let's be real, he thought his job was more important than hers. So tensions are running a little high. They can't come to an agreement. And there's some resentment building. You're catching what I'm putting down. So they were arguing and the strain of two high pressure careers and having all these kids was weighing on them. So Tom wanted Sandy to be more of a homemaker and be more active in the church. But Sandy didn't want that. So she was very sad, very torn. And she even confided in a friend and told her that she was worried that Tom didn't love her anymore. And then Sandy got a promotion at work that involved more hours and more responsibility. And she was afraid to tell Tom because she was afraid he was going to be pissed off. But when she finally told him, it turns out he was actually excited and really supportive. And Tom even suggested that they go out and celebrate. So on the evening of July 16th, Tom took Sandy out to celebrate for dinner and a movie. Then at 9.30 p.m., Sandy popped back into the house. She got a bottle of cold duck wine out of the fridge and a bottle of whiskey for her husband and told the babysitter that they were going back out and they'd be back in an hour. And then she left. And Tom and Sandy went to go have drinks together at his office in the church. But they did not come back in an hour. 
Tom says they were having a nice evening, but after some drinks, Tom told her that he wasn't actually excited about the extra responsibilities that she would now have at work. So Tom pretended that he was excited about her getting a promotion. And he's like, oh, yeah, let's go out and celebrate. But then as soon as they're out and have a few drinks, he's like, oh, wait, actually, I'm not excited about your promotion. Don't take it. But good job getting it, I guess. Sandy obviously was pissed off and she left. Tom said that Sandy told him she was going to the college to go work on her computer. And so Tom stayed at the church to finish his sermon. And then he went for a five mile run which is exactly what I love to do after fighting with my spouse and drinking whiskey all night is go run five miles. Then it was after midnight and Tom called home and asked the babysitter if Sandy had called or come home. But the babysitter said she hadn't heard from or seen Sandy since she got the cold duck wine out of the fridge at 930. So Tom called the police and reported his wife missing and then went home to wait. The cops went to their house and talked to Tom at 3 a.m., but since they had been fighting, the cops were like, I'm sure it's no big deal. She's probably just off at the college or blowing off steam, and I'm sure she'll be back. But then later that morning, some hikers found Sandy's body floating face down in the Cottonwood River next to her overturned station wagon, dead. Now, investigators examined the scene. It appeared that the car had missed a bend and veered off past the bridge, went down an embankment, flipped over, and landed in the water. And Sandy, I guess, was not wearing her seatbelt because she was thrown from the vehicle and was found floating face down next to the car. Now, when Tom called the police to report Sandy missing, he told them they'd been out celebrating her promotion, that they were drinking together, that they argued, she left, and that she didn't come back. So police assumed that she was drunk or that she was being careless, and she went off the road, flew out of the car. It was a tragic accident. But Highway Patrol Trooper John Rule, not Jaw Rule, John Rule was the first police officer to discover Sandy's body. And right away, he was skeptical that it was an accident. First of all, there were no skid marks anywhere. So no braking, no swerving. I mean, maybe if she was drunk. But as he walked the bridge, he found blood on the bridge. One pool of blood on the wooden bridge was the size of a dinner plate. That's not a small pool of blood. But this is 1983. So it's not like they're going to take a swab of blood and get all the answers they need. They weren't doing that yet. Rule also found Sandy's watch under the bridge, and then he also found some drops of blood on the leaves underneath the bridge as well. But as the morning was going on, evidence was quickly disappearing. Workers were trampling all over the evidence. People were walking all around, all over the river bottom. The car and Sandy's body were already being pulled out of the river. And Rule went to the sheriff and voiced his concerns like, hey, uh, should we be moving all of this so quickly? What if it's not an accident? And I guess the sheriff brushed him off and said, oh, Who would kill a preacher's wife? And everyone just looked around and said, yeah, she must have been drunk. And it was an accident. And that was that. There was also a local resident, Dennis Arb, at the accident. He heard about the accident over the police scanner. Dennis was that guy who knows everyone in town. So he rode his motorcycle over to go see if it was someone he knew. And he was like standing on the bridge, chatting with the cops, looking at the evidence, looking at the scene. And he also saw the blood on the bridge. And he also noticed the lack of skid marks. And he also thought it was very strange and thought it might not be an accident. So it wasn't just that one cop. But another bit of evidence that was really suspicious was that Sandy's seat in the car was pushed all the way back. And it was way too far back for tiny little five foot one Sandy to even reach the pedals. Could that have happened in the accident? Maybe. Anyway, police got samples of the blood just to make sure it was human because they thought maybe it was like a fisherman's bait stain. And they also did an autopsy on Sandy. But initially, her death was ruled an accident. Now, after the autopsy and the testing and blah, 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 
her blood alcohol level was well below the legal limit. So she was not drunk. And the blood they tested was determined to be human. And it was the same blood type as Sandy's blood type. But that doesn't conclusively mean it was hers at all. Sandy's friends were all incredibly adamant that Sandy always wore her seatbelt. It was habitual. She never drove her car without her seatbelt on. So how could she have been thrown from her vehicle if she was wearing her seatbelt? Tom told police that, oh, Sandy only wore her seatbelt when the kids were in the car with her. And he told police he believed Sandy was either drunk, which she was not, or she was being careless, or... She was suicidal because she was actually very depressed lately. She was very unhappy, and he believes she could have driven herself off of the bridge. Okay, Tom, but where did the blood come from? Just some other random person's puddle of blood on the bridge? Okay. But still, Sandy's death was still ruled an accident, and the town was devastated and began to move on. But then, four months later, there was another death from another person from Emporia, Kansas. Yeah. This time, it was a man named Martin Anderson, husband of Lorna Anderson. Now, Marty Anderson was a lab tech as well as a medical examiner for the coroner. In fact, Marty was the guy who told Tom Bird Sandy Bird's cause of death after the autopsy. Yeah. And Lorna Anderson, Martin's wife? Guess who she was? Tom Bird's personal secretary. And we will get to that little chestnut in a minute, but isn't that quite a coincidence? So here's what happened with Lorna and Martin, the newest death. According to Lorna, her, her husband, and their four children, whose ages ranged from two and a half to eight, were out driving on a rural stretch of highway in Geary County. It was the evening and Lorna was driving and suddenly she started to feel really nauseous. So she pulled the car over, got out of the car, ran out into the field and barfed. After she was done, she came back to the car and she was like, oh, crap. I dropped the keys when I went out to the field to barf. So she asked Martin, her husband, to go out and look for the keys in the field. And just as Martin got out into the field to the area where Lorna had barfed, a mysterious masked man hopped out of the field out of nowhere with a gun and threatened Martin and demanded he hand over his wallet. He was a cornfield robber or something. And during the kerfuffle, Martin was shot in the back of the head three times. And he died right there in the field. And the masked cornfield bandit got away with Martin's wallet. Lorna ran away to find help. She flagged down another car. They called 911, but it was too late. Martin was gone. But listen, that story was crazy. What was some guy just sitting in a cornfield with a mask on waiting for someone to pull off the road and barf? It was a rural area. Was he sitting there for four days? That's crazy. Immediately, the cops didn't believe Lorna. This <laughs> is not a good story. No, wait, who are these two? Lorna and Martin. Now, Marty, as he was known, and Lorna got married in 1973. And they had four daughters. Then Marty got a new job as a lab tech at the Newman Regional Health Lab in Emporia, Kansas. So they relocated. Now, I guess Lorna and Marty were struggling. They were having trouble in the marriage, super not getting along. And I guess Lorna even asked Marty for a divorce and he refused to give Lorna a divorce. He said he would not divorce her because he loved the girls so much he did not want split custody. He wanted full-time custody of the girls. Now, Lorna was rumored to have had several affairs 
And some friends of Lorna's even said that Lorna would joke about how she wished something would happen to Marty so that she can get his life insurance money and just be done with him. It's a super funny joke, Lorna. You're funny. Now, despite the marital struggles, Marty and Lorna were just trying to get along for the sake of the girls and pretended like they liked each other. And they ended up meeting Reverend Tom Bird at a church softball game. And Tom is this super nice, energetic, charismatic man. And both Marty and Lorna liked him, and Tom convinced them to join his church, and they can meet some new people in the town that way. So they started going to Sunday services with Reverend Tom Bird. Soon, Lorna joined the Bible study, and then Lorna started getting closer to Tom Bird and started confiding in him all the problems she was having in her marriage. She said her and Marty were having so many problems, and they were even having problems with money. So to help... Tom Bird offered Lorna a job, and soon she was Tom's personal secretary. That Tom is so helpful. Then, not long after Lorna became his secretary, Sandy Bird died in a tragic car accident, and then four months after that, Marty Anderson was killed in a cornfield by a cornfield bandit. Now, once police heard Lorna's (laughs) robbery story, they didn't buy it because it's not a good story. It's nuts. So they started digging into Lorna. And they were digging for dirt and they found dirt and it didn't take long to find dirt because people were quick to spill it. I guess Lorna had a bit of a reputation. Now, it wasn't a super small town. It was like 25,000 people, but the church community was small and close knit and they were talking. You know how it is. So it seems that everyone knew that Lorna, and these are not my words, was the town bicycle and the ladies in town knew to watch their husbands around Lorna Anderson. And Lorna and Marty's babysitter even said that Lorna frequently entertained men at the house while Marty was at work. Like she would send the babysitter and the kids down to the basement while she entertained men upstairs, if you know what I mean. Now, all right, you guys are smart people. So I'm sure you already know where I'm going with this. So let's just spill the tea. Police heard from people in town that they believed Lorna Anderson and Tom Bird We're having a sexy, sexy affair. Duh. Why are they always stooping the secretary? Now, I guess after Lorna became Tom's secretary, they both started spending a ton of time together and they both started confiding in each other about the trouble in their marriages. Tom would tell Lorna that he was so dissatisfied with his life. He was so dissatisfied with his marriage and he just wanted to leave. He wanted to run away and move to New Mexico, start a new congregation, and become the great televangelist that he wanted to be. He wanted to reach millions of people. And Tom felt like he deserved that. He said he had given so much to God that he deserved to be a famous televangelist. That God owed it to him. Because that's how it works. (laughs) And Lorna thought that was hot as hell. And quickly she threw herself at Tom Bird and he took the bait. So instead of Bible study, they were doing the nasty. And Lorna basically told Tom that she would drop everything, drop her entire family to go be with him, run away to New Mexico together and help him become a televangelist. And later Lorna would say that they would meet up at a motel, they would get busy, and then they would lay in bed watching famous televangelists all night. (laughs) Just taking notes. Naked. Lorna also claimed that Tom told her that she wasn't his ideal wife, but that he could turn her into his ideal wife. Rude. (laughs) A woman in town who worked where Lorna volunteered said that Lorna actually confided in her that she was having an affair with Tom Bird and that Lorna even said, quote, 
he's pretty good in bed for a preacher. <laughs> oh. So it wasn't just one person in town gossiping about these two. It was a lot of people. Some people said they saw Tom and Lorna going into a motel. Some people said they saw them kissing. Tom's babysitter said that she saw Tom on top of Lorna on top of the coffee table. I mean, maybe he tripped. <laughs> so anyway, people were gossiping about these two before Sandy and Marty even died. It was people were talking. So the police in Geary County who were investigating Marty's death were like, uh-oh, <laughs> this guy's wife was humping the preacher in town? Didn't his wife just die too? Are these linked? And their suspicions grew even more when a few days after Marty's murder, Tom Bird emerged as the spokesperson for Lorna Anderson. Like, oh, as her boss, you can direct all of your questions for her through me, okay? How weird is that? And then the Monday after Marty's death, he died on Friday. So the Monday after, an insurance agent called the Geary County Police Department because Lorna had called them on Saturday asking how quickly she could get Marty's life insurance money. <laughs> Lorna, come on. So she did not appear to be a grieving widow. She wanted that coin. It's Black Widow 101. You don't call the life insurance company like the day after your husband dies. Give me a break. So due to this suspicious call that Lorna made to the insurance company, police searched Lorna and Marty's home. And guess what they found in her lingerie drawer? Well, they found some really spicy lingerie, but they also found two love notes from Reverend Tom Bird. Oh, brother. One said, quote, I am confident in the future, and that makes the present okay. Love you always, end quote. And another one said, we will be together after Friday. Marty was killed on a Friday. Come on, guys. Jesus. So police wanted just a little more dirt on Lorna, so they decided to haul in and question every dope that Lorna was rumored to have slept with. And man, they got a bomb dropped on them when they interviewed Daryl Carter. Now, Daryl was a local contractor in town, and he came forward and said that Lorna called him one day and asked him to meet her at the church. When he got there, he was met with both Lorna and Tom, who together asked him to kill Marty Anderson. They asked him right there in the church. In a house of God. Now, this guy had met Lorna and Tom both before, so he knew them both. And in fact, he admitted to obviously sleeping with Lorna in the past. Oof, this is messy. Now, I guess immediately Daryl said he wasn't interested in being involved in a murder. And he said he asked Tom why he didn't counsel the couple or talk to Lorna about divorcing her husband instead of killing him. And Tom said she didn't want a divorce because Marty had a large life insurance policy and she wouldn't be able to get her hands on that if they got a divorce. <sighs> Daryl says that Tom and Lorna offered him two alternate plans that were their ideas on how he could kill Marty. One was to drive his car off a bridge and make it look like an accident. Sounds familiar. And the other idea was to stage a robbery at the house where Daryl was staying while he was at his monthly military reserve trip in Topeka. Daryl, I guess, asked them why they thought he would go through with this. Like, what made them think he was a cold-blooded killer? He'd never killed anyone before. And Daryl said, Tom said, quote, Neither have I. I'm a man of God, and I'm going to kill Marty Anderson, end quote. Later, Tom would deny ever having said that. I mean, he'd deny all of this, but... 
Daryl said at this point he began to feel very unsafe. Like if he just said, no, fuck you guys and left, like maybe he wouldn't be leaving that church alive. (laughs) So he just told them, I'll think about it and then stalled. And he put him off for a while. And then eventually he called Tom and said, I'm I'm not interested in being involved. But get this, I guess then Lorna (laughs) reached out to Daryl's brother, Dan. Some sources say that Daryl told Lorna, I won't kill anyone, but you should ask my brother. But not every source said that. But either way, Dan, the brother, who Lorna had also slept with, he was Lorna's hairdresser, and he was also a welder by trade, which is an interesting combination. And Dan told police that Lorna had come to him and asked if he knew a hitman. I mean, he is a jack of all trades, like hairdresser, welder. Maybe he knows a hitman too. And I guess Dan said, yes, I I do in fact know a hitman. (laughs) So Lorna gave Dan $5,000 and Dan gave those $5,000 to a man named Gregory Curry, who was supposed to, I guess, carry out the hit on Marty Anderson, but he said he didn't. He just ran off with the money. Now, wait a minute. I thought that Marty and Lorna were hard up for cash. Where'd she get five grand? Guess how much money Tom Bird got from his wife, Sandy's life insurance policy. (laughs) $5,000. And investigators found evidence that Tom had paid Lorna $5,000. And then Lorna gave an envelope full of $5,000 to Dan Carter, who then gave the money to Gregory Curry. Yeah. Yeah. What a fucking mess. So they used Sandy's life insurance money to fund the murder of Marty Anderson so that they could get more life insurance money to the tune of almost $250,000, which Lorna had just recently increased right before Marty's untimely death. So it's sounding like, which is probably pretty obvious to all of us, that Tom and Lorna planned the murder of their spouses so that they could be together because apparently divorce isn't an option and they could be together and run away to New Mexico and start his new congregation and, and become a famous televangelist or whatever. It's crazy. Well, the envelope of $5,000 was enough for police. So in December 1983, less than a month after Marty's death, Lorna Anderson, Daniel Carter, and Gregory Curry were all charged with criminal solicitation to commit first-degree murder. No one could be charged with Marty's actual murder because there still wasn't enough evidence to prove who actually shot the guy. Now, Lorna pleaded not guilty to the criminal solicitation charge, but Daniel and Gregory both took plea deals. Daryl Carter, the contractor, was never charged, but he did do lots of testifying against everybody. Now, police weren't only suspicious of Lorna. They were suspicious of Tom Bird, too. So they kept digging into Tom. And since Daryl Carter had come forward, spilling the tea, that he had met Lorna and Tom together to discuss killing Marty, that was some pretty fucking good fuel. But Tom said to police that he had only ever met with Daryl Carter to discuss building a firecracker stand as a fundraiser for the church. So police decided to have Daryl Carter talk to Tom Bird while wearing a wire. So he did, and during the conversation, Tom Bird said to Daryl how important it was that they stick to the firecracker story. So Tom didn't exactly confess that he was involved in the plot to kill Marty, but it was something. It did sound like he was trying to solidify an alibi. Police also questioned Tom about the alleged affair between him and Lorna, and they asked him about those love notes that they found in Lorna's underwear drawer. 
But Tom said, oh, no, no, no. Those were not romantic love letters. They only showed Christian love, not romantic love. You got to admit, it's a pretty good line. (laughs) But with the letters and Daryl's testimony and the recorded conversation about keeping their story straight, it was all pretty damning. And even more damning was when they found that Tom got five grand from Sandy's life insurance. And then there was evidence that he gave 5,000 to Lorna and blah, blah, blah. You know, so it all looked really bad for Tom. So a few months after Lorna, Tom Bird was also charged with criminal solicitation to commit first degree murder. Now, at Tom Bird's trial, he pleaded not guilty, and he testified in his own defense for five hours. He doubled down, said he had only ever talked to Daryl about firecrackers. He said he did not have an affair with Lorna. It was just Christian love. But the jury didn't buy it, and he was convicted for criminal solicitation to commit first-degree murder, and he was sentenced to two and a half to seven years in prison. And later, Lorna, at her trial, changed her plea and she pleaded guilty to criminal solicitation to commit first-degree murder, and she was sentenced to 5 to 18 years. Now, no one was charged in the murder of Marty Anderson, just the criminal solicitation. And no one had been charged with the death of Sandy either, because at this point it was still ruled an accident. So Tom and Lorna were both in jail, but just for the planning part. So while they were locked up, Police kept digging. In August 1984, Lyon County, where Emporia is, and Geary County, where Marty was killed, launched a joint investigation, and they reopened the Sandy Bird case. So basically, Marty's murder happened in Geary County, and they wanted their murder solved. So Geary County forced the hands of Lyon County to do their job on the Sandy Bird case so that they can solve Marty's case. You get me? But it boiled down to Lyon County never had cases like this. They didn't have murders like that in Emporia. Geary County had some more murders, so they were more used to closing those cases. And in October 1984, Sandy's body was exhumed. And this was really pushed for by Sandy's parents, as well as that local resident, the one who saw the blood on the wood bridge. He contacted Geary County police too and told them all about what he saw and how he also suspected that it was not an accident. Like people just had it. They had that gut feeling. This was not an accident. This was a homicide. Dr. Eckert of Wichita examined Sandy's body and he found wounds consistent with her being in a defensive position. And her body showed damage to her organs that suggested severe trauma from behind, not from being thrown from a vehicle. And he also found evidence that Sandy had been hit repeatedly over the head with a blunt object. Also, the original coroner's report said that Sandy had no water in her lungs. So she did not drown. She was dead before she went in the water. So with this evidence and the alleged affair between Tom and Lorna as motive, Tom Bird was charged with first-degree murder of his wife, Sandy Bird, on July 23rd, 1985. The prosecution used the evidence found at Sandy's exhumation exam, as well as the circumstantial evidence from the night of Sandy's murder. You see... Tom said that him and Sandy had a drink at his office at the church. Then she left in a huff to go back to the college. Tom stayed at his office to work on his sermon. Then he went for a run. Then he called home and asked the babysitter if she'd heard from or seen Sandy. And when she said no, he called the police and reported Sandy missing. And then he went home. Right? But the babysitter said that Tom didn't call home until one in the morning. Police records show that he called 911 to report his wife missing before midnight. So why would you call the police and report your wife missing before you even call home to check and see if she came home? 
This is the wrong order. Tom explained this by simply saying, oh, well, the babysitter was wrong about the time that I called. The babysitter also said that when Tom arrived home, he was wearing a shirt and tie. So she didn't believe that he was out running five miles. Another piece of evidence that was presented was from the officer who went to Tom's house in the morning to tell him that they found Sandy's body. I guess he showed up and he was like, hey, I'm so sorry, but we found Sandy's body. It looks like her car went off the road and she was found in the water next to the car. And he says that Tom replied, what was she doing out there? We never go there. But the cop hadn't said where yet. (laughs) All he said was off the road. Like he didn't say what bridge, what town. Tom didn't ask, where was she found? How did this happen? He said, why was she out there? Like, Tom, that was a fuck up. So the prosecution came up with the story that Tom and Sandy argued. Then he drove her out to the bridge just outside of town, seven miles away, beat her up, pushed the car into the water, and then threw Sandy over the bridge. Then he ran the seven miles home and probably changed his clothes because he was bloody and dirty. Okay. Anyway, I guess the grand jury didn't believe Tom's story and they believed the prosecution's story. And on August 7th at the grand jury trial, Tom was found guilty of first degree murder for killing his wife, Sandy. And he was sentenced to life in prison. So, okay, that's Sandy's death. But what about Marty? Police kept trying to gather enough evidence to charge someone with the death of Marty Anderson. But meanwhile, in the real world, this story was kind of running under the radar until the LA Times picked it up and wrote an article about the story, which I have linked. And in this article, they interviewed John Rule, the highway patrol officer who found Sandy's body. And he told the Times about how he didn't think it was an accident and how he voiced his concerns to the sheriff right away. And he talked all about how he was suspicious from the first moment that he knew it wasn't an accident. And this was a big story. And this is spicy. A pastor having an affair with a secretary and they, he killed his wife and then maybe him and Lorna worked together to kill her husband. But no one had been charged in his death? Oh, it was Hollywood. And other people thought it was Hollywood too. And suddenly there was a war to make a made-for-TV movie about this story. And it got made. They filmed it right in Emporia, Kansas on site. And it turned into a two-part, three-hour total, very dramatic made-for-TV movie with Keith Carradine and Joe Beth Williams and Kathy Bates and John Goodman. I have a link where you can watch it on YouTube. It's pretty good. It came out in 1987, and it's not factual. <laughs> but they basically made Officer John Rule like a main character in the movie. And like he was the only officer that saw Sandy's death for what it really was and that he fought really hard to keep going after Tom Bird. Well, that wasn't true at all. Like he really had nothing to do with the case in real life. But the point is, this movie, Murder Ordained, it came out in 87. And it was popular, and it made Tom look really bad. (laughs) Like, it painted him in a really unattractive light. It made him and Lorna both look super guilty. And it aired before anyone was even charged with Marty Anderson's death in real life. So that adds a really interesting aspect to this case. Because the movie really impacted how people in the country viewed the case. But it wasn't fully solved yet. The actual townspeople of Emporia were pretty split. Some people thought the affair was real and that Tom clearly killed both Sandy and Marty. But others didn't think Tom could have possibly had anything to do with this because, I mean, right? He's a preacher. 
And Tom maintains that he had nothing to do with his wife Sandy's death. He had nothing to do with Marty's death. He did not have an affair with Lorna. He says Sandy was either suicidal or careless and just drove off the bridge. And he said Lorna probably had one of the Carter brothers or one of her many ex-lovers kill her husband for the insurance money. He had nothing to do with it, he says. Now, while Tom said he and Lorna did not have an affair, he did admit that after Marty died, him and Lorna slept together three or four times because they both had dead spouses and they had all these kids and they were lonely. And he said, Lorna needed me and I needed to feel needed. That's what he said. Some people in town, though, said it was pretty obvious that Tom and Lorna were having an affair. He hugged her a lot in public. Their eyes lit up when they saw each other and there was electricity in the room when they were both in the room together. And people in town were talking about the affair even before Sandy and Marty were killed. And even Sandy herself cried and told a friend that she was upset that her relationship with Tom was fucked and that he was spending too much time with his secretary, Lorna Anderson. So even Sandy thought Tom was having an affair with Lorna. And of course, everybody in the country that saw the movie Murder Ordained thought that Tom and Lorna were both evil and they were obvious killers. Now, in 1988, Tom Bird remarried while in prison to a woman named Terry Bird, who has a master's in education, and she specializes in educating special needs children. She worked at a Lutheran school in Kansas City, Kansas, and she actually met Tom originally at a church function shortly after Sandy died. Tom was a model prisoner. He co-founded Convicts for Christ, and he organized a tennis marathon to raise money for the Ronald McDonald House. And also in 1988, Tom and his new wife, Terry, started a marriage enrichment seminar for marriage counseling for inmates and their spouses. <laughs> Sorry, marriage counseling, Tom? Really? <laughs> Finally, in 1990, Police went forward with the Marty Anderson trial. Again, several years after the made-for-TV movie came out. And they charged Lorna and Tom with Marty's murder. Tom pleaded not guilty, but Lorna took a deal and pleaded guilty to second-degree murder in exchange for her testimony against Tom. And Lorna testified that her and Tom were having an affair, that they planned Marty's murder together, and that Tom was actually the one who pulled the trigger. He was the masked man in the cornfield. Ooh. But get this, Tom was acquitted. I mean, he still had to serve out his sentence for the murder conviction of killing his wife. But he was not convicted for the murder of Marty Anderson, nor was anyone else. So Lorna got more jail time because of the plea deal for second degree murder. But legally, we do not have the identification of the actual shooter for Marty Anderson's death. Lorna says it was Tom, but he was acquitted. Now, while in prison for Sandy's murder, Tom was interviewed by an author, Dave Racer, who self-published a book called Caged Bird in 2000. Great title. And it argues Tom's innocence and says he was wrongfully convicted using circumstantial evidence by a town hell-bent on justice. And Tom and Dave, the author, argue that the made-for-TV movie kept him in jail longer. He was unable to get parole because he kept running on reruns. Tom said it was unfair for the movie to be shown over and over before he had exhausted his appeals process. It's an interesting take. In the end, Tom Bird was paroled in 2004 after serving 20 years of his life sentence. Despite Sandy Bird's family's pleas to keep him in, Tom went to live with his wife, Terry Bird. And he was released from parole supervision in 2006. So a free man. 
Tom's three children were adopted by Sandy Bird's brother, so their uncle, and he wants nothing to do with Tom. Tom's oldest daughter says she believes in her father's innocence, and she actually went and spoke at his parole hearing to help get him released. Lorna married a guy named Randy Eldridge in 1985 while she was in prison, but they divorced in 1990 when the Marty Anderson murder trial went down. Then she went back to her maiden name, Lorna Slater, and then she married a guy named Terry Moore. Terry worked for a child welfare organization, and he actually met Lorna when he brought Lorna's kids to go visit her while she was in prison. And I guess they met and they thought, wow, we have a lot in common. And they got married while Lorna was still in prison. Lorna took parenting classes for mothers while she was in prison. And eventually she ended up becoming the instructor for that course. And she also got a college degree while in prison. Lorna was up for parole a bunch of times, but she kept getting denied. Even in 2004, after Tom got out, she was still denied. But she was eventually released on parole in 2006. And then she was released from parole supervision in 2014. So also free as a bird. And then later, Lorna became the CEO of Interfaith Housing Services. So as soon as Lorna and Tom were arrested and put in jail in 1983, they never spoke again. And they're both free now, and they both married different people named Terry. (laughs) They both married Terry's. People are still torn on this one. But what do you think? Did Tom and Lorna have an affair? And that was the motive to murder their spouses? Even the author of the LA Times article began to have doubts after the movie came out. Scott Kraft wrote the original LA Times article in 1986, which I have linked, and that article inspired the TV movie, and then the movie came out. And then Scott Kraft wrote another article in 2004 after a lengthy interview with Tom Bird just before he was released on parole. And in 2004, Tom told Scott Kraft he did not kill his wife, Sandy. He still maintained his innocence. And he said that the movie got in the way of his parole. The parole board said the movie had nothing to do with their decisions at his parole hearings. They said that Tom never accepted responsibility for his crime and therefore he could not be paroled. But Tom said he can't take responsibility for his crime because he didn't do it. (laughs) Tom says he didn't kill anyone. He said he was found guilty just because of his association with Lorna. But Lorna says Tom killed both Sandy and Marty and that she helped him plan the murders. I personally believe Lorna's story. But then again, she could be lying too. Maybe she was obsessed with him. And maybe she lied about the affair. And she did hire hitmen to kill both Sandy and Marty so that they could be together. I mean, Tom did say that he slept with Lorna after both the spouses were dead. Hmm. But there was also a lot of witnesses that saw Lorna and Tom together at the motel or kissing or on a coffee table. <laughs> Or was that just bitchy gossip because the church ladies thought Lorna was a hussy? Hmm? I have no idea. I wasn't there. I'm just playing devil's advocate. I really have no idea. But I think it's just as simple as Tom and Lorna were having an affair and they killed their spouses so they could be together. That's what I think. That's like the most obvious answer. All I know is I feel so sad for Sandy and Marty and their kids and their families. They got caught up in the middle of some bullshit and they died tragically and horrifically. And Marty didn't even get justice. Nobody went to jail for his murder ever. And that sucks. But I just can't believe that both Tom and Lorna are just out and free. That's crazy. I don't really know the answer. I don't think we'll ever know all of the details. But as for Emporia, Kansas and the Rocky Ford Bridge... 
No one calls the bridge by that name anymore. The locals call it Bird Bridge. And it's become somewhat of an urban legend in the area. People have claimed that they can hear Sandy Bird's screams coming from underneath the bridge and that her footsteps can be heard walking across the bridge at night. Some people claim to see Sandy's ghostly apparition crossing the bridge or even coming out of the water at night. One Twitter user, Ashley Gillett, wrote that she visited the bridge and her car kept locking and unlocking the doors in an unusual pattern. And she was convinced that it was Sandy Bird trying to communicate with Morse code. And to this day, thrill seekers and brave teenagers go visit the bridge in hopes of catching a glimpse of the ghostly apparition of Sandy Bird. <laughs> Spooky. And that is the end of today's true crime case about the murders of Sandy Bird and Marty Anderson. So what do you think? Do you think Tom was a liar? Do you think Lorna was a liar? Or what? Tell me your theories in the comments or on Instagram. Be sure to check out the Instagram that goes along with this post so you can see the photos. And so we can discuss the case. Crazy story, man. Thank you so much, Isabel, for recommending this case to me. It was fascinating. And thank you again for the extended break. It was longer than I planned, but shit happens. <laughs> and I hope you're all having an amazing October so far. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to Cleaning and Crime. If you'd like more content from me or you want to see the cleaning side of things, check me out on YouTube, TikTok, or follow my socials, all of which are under the name Elise. If you have questions or case ideas to share, email me at cleanclean at gmail.com or DM me on Instagram. If you like what you heard, feel free to rate, review, and subscribe. These episodes include my personal opinions and all information is compiled by me using references that are publicly available. Sources are included in the show notes and all parties discussed are innocent until proven guilty. See you next time.